0: I'd like to begin, are we on? There we go, how's that? Is that better? I'd like to begin by giving honor where honor is due. Pastor Chinadu Emmanuel, Pastor Dorothy, I thank you for extending the invitation. To me it is such an honor to be here. I took the position as the associate or as the supervisor for the Atlantic District in Foursquare about seven months ago. And I immediately began to pray to the Father that he would illuminate and identify who I was to connect with in these first 12 months. And he's been very strategic in that. And I have found myself in um, places where I didn't think I'd go, meeting people that I didn't think I would meet, talking about God in a way that I didn't believe was imaginable, even though I know God to be the big God that we sung about this morning but he does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. And that has been my experience over these last seven months of obedience. So obedience led me to Pastor Chinnadu Emmanuel and Pastor Dorothy. And five minutes into our conversation, I knew that God had set up a divine appointment. So I thank you and I honor you I honor you as an apostolic father. What you've poured into me just this morning, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. Not by what just came out of your mouth, but by the presence that you've established in this place. And I thank you. There's a scripture that I read that said, honor your father and mother that your days may be long. People ask me why I cling so closely to my father and my mother. It is so that my days may be long. (laughs) And so I honor Pastor Huey Hudson and Ruth Hudson for joining me this morning from, not from Baton Rouge. I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and I always forget. I never wanna tell people I'm from Alabama, I don't know why. Um, But we live in Huntsville, Alabama. And so I thank you mom and dad for being here this morning. (laughs) I'm also learning in this role that it is not wisdom to travel alone. My husband couldn't be with me this morning. We have five children, 18, 17, 16, 11 and five tomorrow. Yes, (laughs) praise God. The doctor said we'd never be able to have biological children, but God, but God. And I wanna encourage somebody with that this morning. But God, we have five healthy children And I'm learning lessons, and so one of the lessons was you probably don't need to travel alone. Um, With as much as you go, with the little sleep that you work on, you probably shouldn't travel alone. And Daryl couldn't make it this morning, but my pastor friend, sister, um, Pastor Emily Plater did join me, and I just wanna honor her in her presence. Are we ready for a word from the Lord? Are we ready for a word from the Lord? I want to open up with the scripture out of Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. Father God, I come to you this morning. Lord God, I pray that you reduce me so that you can rise up in me, Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Amen. God has been dealing with me a lot on perspective. Perspective. We all have perspectives, but how many of you have lived enough life to realize that perspective does not always equate to truth? perspective does not always equate to truth and so as he gave me the scriptures this morning i begin to tear them apart and dig deeper and ask god for a new revelation to show me how i can be they when he talks about overcomers with my own perspective does that make sense The scripture says, and they will overcome him by the blood of the lamb, who's him, the enemy of our souls, by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. And they did not love their lives to death. So what differentiates my perspective from my testimony? We all have a story. I have a lot of good stories to tell. I meet people, have you ever met somebody and every time you see them, they have another story that they want to share. What is the difference between a good life story and a testimony? I believe that God is gonna unpack for us this morning that a testimony speaks to the truth that is life-giving through Christ. That is the difference. You know, we see sometimes and we hear sometimes people tell compelling stories. You know, my grandmother was a big part of my life. I honor seniors to this day. My company, we serve older adults, 65 and older. That is just a part of who I am because of what my Medea poured into me, what my grandmothers poured into me. They always had good stories. And I thought that I understood the totality of who they were through the stories that they told, but I didn't understand truth. So I couldn't fully understand their perspective. I sat in church with Medea one day and this tear just started rolling down her face. So I associated what I saw as her perspective as sadness, but she was just full of the glory of God. I can remember watching her. She would sweep all the time. And you know, you got you ain't seen nobody sweep until you see Medea sweep, but her whole body would be in how she would use the broom and she would sweep. And I thought that the perspective that I was seeing was she just like clean floors. I thought she swept with vigor because she was interested in cleaning her floors. That was the perspective that I can glean from the outside. But after I lived a little bit of life and I reflect back on what I was seeing, I no longer saw the work in the motions. I heard the sound she would make. And as she would sing, she would say, pass me not, O gentle Savior, Hear my humble cry. And while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And Medea would get to moaning I couldn't see that perspective through my carnal eyes. I had to get to know Christ for myself and look back upon that experience to fully realize the perspective that Mamadea was discipling me with through her actions. See, to disciple someone, you've gotta get close enough to see to the heart of the perspective. I want us to get close enough to this scripture in 2 Samuel to see to the heart of the perspective. If you could turn in your scriptures with me to 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14. Oh, great. You guys put it on the back wall because I can't see well with those. Great. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He demonstrated a perspective. He was trying to communicate a thing with his appearance. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from? David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened? David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. I was talking to a wise man this morning and I learned something. I learned that where the world may teach us that diplomacy is an art, sometimes it's directness of voice that the Lord calls for. We will hide behind a diplomatic posture, articulating to people what we think they want to hear when God has called us to a place of spirit and truth. And so the Amalekites stood before David and David demanded, tell me what happened. And I believe that the Amalekite went on this diplomatic journey to communicate a perspective. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Diplomacy always has a little bit of truth. We can move forward. How do you know Saul and Jonathan are dead, David demanded of the young man. The man answered, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the enemy chariots and charioteers closing in on him. When he turned and saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help? I asked him. He responded, who are you? I am an Amalekite, I told them. This morning, I'd like to speak to you from the topic of I am they. I am they. So often we read God's word and we make it this historical monument that we pledge allegiance to. Instead of putting ourselves in the position of a true believer and say, I am they, when he says they will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of the testimony, I offer you this morning that maybe I am they, maybe you are they, maybe united we are they. Amen. So, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about I am They. I prayed, I guess it's been about six, seven years ago when we started the nonprofit agency. We have a 20,000 square foot community center that serves individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia. We also have an intergenerational component where we bring children in because the quality of life is not just sticking people in a grouping with people that all look like them function as them it is community when jesus said upon this rock i'll build my the translation was not church it was community and community requires an intergenerational approach and so we started an intergenerational facility called the legacy center And I remember about this time going into my father's office. He is not just my father. He is my pastor. And I went into his office and I said, dad, I'm doing too much. I've got the children. I have work. I have ministry. I have, I have, I have. And I was giving him all of these things. And he said, hmm. (laughs) And he alluded to a leader that if I said the name, we'd all know who it was. And he said, I wonder if. I called so-and-so in and said, you have the books and the ministries and the movies and the music. I think you're doing too much. He said, Shonda, I think you need to pray and ask God how to manage what he's given you. See, if God brings it to you, he will bring what he needs to bring through you to accomplish it. His burden is light, his yoke is easy, and I was stressed out. So I went before him and I prayed, Pastor. And I said, God, I need you to teach me how to manage what you've given me. Or I need you to reveal to me that I'm carrying things that I've introduced to my world. And he said, Shonda, I've given it all and it's one thing. See, you're seeing it as a bunch of different things, but I'm seeing it as one thing. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me what that one thing is because I need this load to be light. And he said, this one thing is legacy. Well, what is legacy to the believer? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is legacy. So with I am they part over here, I wanna to talk to you for just a few moments over here about legacy. Haggai 2.9 says, "The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former, says the Lord. That takes me on a journey of looking at people and process being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. As we talk about legacy and the things that we place our time and our energy and we allow to so easily inform our perspective, there is the truth that we should marry our personal experience to. Does that make sense? So that's what differentiates just a story from a testimony. When you marry your story to the word of God, it creates a different narrative. Oh, they put pictures up. This is my mom and my sister. My mom was very young when she had me. She's still very beautiful. But my mom was 16 years old when she had me. And I want to share this to encourage somebody here this morning of two things. One is be careful how you use your mouth. Two is be careful how you allow others to use their mouth against you. Because there is the power of life and death in our words. Mom had me when she was about 16. At about this age, I was down the street dusting. And I heard these two ladies talking in the other room. And one of them we called mommy. And the other one was someone that was visiting. And they said... Whose baby is that? If y'all, anybody from Louisiana, y'all know how they got the little, who baby is that? So they said, who baby is that, Cher? She said, that's Ruth Lynn's baby. She said, that poor baby, she's never gonna amount to anything. And it was in that moment that I made a very unhealthy vow that by any means necessary, I would prove their words to be wrong. That I would be successful how many of you have made unhealthy vows on the other side of unhealthy situations where I'm here to encourage you this morning that when you bounce those unhealthy vows birthed in unhealthy situations against the Word of God the author and finisher will write a testimony that will inform not just your perspective but your legacy. So I allowed him to begin to write my story. I had to repent. I had to give my life to Christ because see, I'm here to also tell you that just because you coexist in the same vicinity as Jesus, that doesn't make you a believer. I was born into a good house. I was sprinkled as a Catholic. I was baptized by 10 as a missionary Baptist. I attended a Southern Baptist college. I was discipled in a four square church. I had my feet washed in a primitive Baptist church. But it was nothing but the redemptive power of Christ that brought me to a level of understanding that just because I am in the vicinity doesn't mean that he is abiding in me. I was listening to Pastor Chinadu preach just a couple of weeks ago, it may not have been that long ago, but you were ministering and you said, I got goosebumps when I walked where Jesus walked and I asked myself the question, why don't I get goosebumps on a regular basis if he abides inside of me? That message shook me at my core because we walk around in the neighborhood with Jesus. And we believe that our perspective is informed by association. I'm here to encourage us this morning that unless your perspective is informed by the abiding presence of Christ, it may not be fully formed in a way that it will perform the legacy that you've been placed here. The legacy that he knew before you were formed in your mother's womb, that is still coming to pass as long as we not get it confused that there is an abiding presence of God that desires to inform our perspective. So I have people and I have posts that I manage and I'll introduce you to a few of them. On the right, that is my family That is Daryl, my husband, holding our, she'll be five years old tomorrow, her name is Singjoy. My son is the next oldest, the 18 year old with the football uniform on, he's now a freshman in college. Seven is standing next to him, that's the oldest girl. And then Kalani is holding the dog, Kingston has the football outfit on, that is my family. We all have personal commitments and families, but that is not the totality of our perspective. In the middle, those are friends. That's a pastor and his wife. They pastor at the Legacy Center. We release out the ministry space to different churches that are coming in. And then I do a lot of work with foster kids. And so we have our passion points that inform our perspective. But what you have to realize is that when you have passion points that inform your perspective, that others have passion points as well that informs their perspective, and unless you bathe that in truth, it can lead you down some pretty dark paths. My process has led me down some pretty dark paths. The next picture I've worked a lot on the mission field. The picture of the brick wall was a group of ladies that were living over in a voodoo village in the city that we were in. And I was told that we couldn't engage them because they weren't a part of the ministry. They weren't a part of the church. How does that sit on you? I couldn't engage them because they weren't a part of the church. They would stand outside the wall each day and they would look through, seeing a light that they could not access. And I had to shift my perspective because my initial perspective was, if I just turn my back to it, it won't impact me. And I continue to minister to those that have already been ministered to again and again and again and again at the demise of those who were on the other side of the wall with a different perspective. But I'm gonna tell you about the Lord that I serve. You hang around him long enough and he begins to talk. And I've learned to listen. And he said, I dare you not see through the walls that I had to break through to get to you. Has anybody in this audience experienced God that breaks through walls with reckless abandon to reach you when others have turned their back? It's not difficult for the world to disqualify others from the same grace that affords them the opportunities that they have. But when you truly know the grace of God, it is difficult if not impossible to deny everyone from experiencing that same level of grace. So I had to turn around and I couldn't get through the wall. I couldn't go around the wall. So I had to say, just put your hands through the wall. And as they put their hands through the wall, I was able to polish their nails And while I polished their nails, I prayed life over them. While I polished their nails, I sang to them. And I thought I had done a thing. But this is a test of when you know you're giving someone the life-giving word of God. I thought my work was finished after I polished the nails. They're pretty. We took the picture. It's done. I bridged that. They came back the next day. They had taken the polish off so that they could stick their hands back through the wall. And so they could engage again. See, people don't want what you can give to make them look like they've received a thing. They want the transformational healing, redemptive power of God. And sometimes that requires a deliberate taking off of what we thought we were doing to make a thing pretty so that we can get to the heart of what God desires to do. So when they came back with fake nails, pad with the, with the nail polish scratched off, I was confused at first. But it didn't take me long to say they want something that I don't have in this bottle or this makeup kit. And I got a translator over, and we were able to share the gospel with them as we painted nails. The next picture up at the top, I got a call from a pastor He said, Pastor Shonda, a mother has lost one of her twins, and we need you to ride with them to the hospital so that the doctor can declare the baby deceased. And so we got in the car. I didn't realize that it was an hour long ride. And so as a mom, I could not imagine having to hold my deceased baby for an hour. So I asked the mom if I could hold the deceased baby, and she held the baby that was still clinging on to life, not doing really well either. And as we begin to ride, emotions begin to flood in, and I had perspectives. My perspective was, how sad is this? We would never allow this to happen in the United States because, see, perspective can make you pompous. And so I began to say things and think things and God checked me. And he said, there go I, but for the grace of God, Shonda, you need to hear there go you, but for the grace of God. And if I could save your baby at four months old, when you left him in a hot car to go into the office to meet with people who could care less about you, I could save this baby. You better pray. And I began to intercede and to pray. And by the time we got to the hospital, the doctor took the baby back in. Everything looked just totally distraught. 15 minutes later, the doctor brought the baby back out. The baby was cheerful. (sighs) We serve a God that is still into miracles, signs, and wonders. So the next time that I was in Haiti, I was brushing my teeth on the patio and I saw this motorcycle come. Now Souvenance is where this young lady lives with her babies. Souvenance was about 45 minutes away from where we stayed. And 45 minutes on the back of a motorcycle with two babies is not a comfortable ride. But I saw this motorcycle come up and that was right before we took the picture on the bottom. She bought the babies to come and see me. because she knew what God did that day. She knew, how many of you can reflect on a day that no one can take from you, that you know that God brought something that was dormant to life? And how many of you have been discomforted, inconvenienced to get on the back of whatever motorcycle you have to get on the back of to go and testify to what God did. I think he's calling us to a new challenge in this season. I heard a quote here recently. It says that it's not that people are questioning the church or questioning the gospel. It's that they are questioning if the church believes the gospel. It's gotten real, real. It's gotten real, real. And I think some of it is because we allow shame to keep our testimonies quiet. We allow privilege to keep our testimonies quiet. But I believe that God is unlocking some stories in this season. They're going to allow you to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to share your truth in a way that says what God had birthed inside of me was dead, but it's alive. (laughs) What the world said was worthless, it's alive. Not by might and not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. So how do we get to that place? I think the first thing we've gotta do is keep the light on. We've got to keep the light on. We can't expect for God to do a redemptive work in darkness. We've got to keep the light on. We've got to tell the truth in love. We cannot dance behind diplomacy in lieu of God's truth. We've got to keep the light on. I bounce everything I say up against scripture. So I'll read second Timothy two, one through 10. My dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's testimony. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. Can you hear that? Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for them. They cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Are we building armies or are we building audiences? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. He told us beloved. Count the cost, count the cost. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David was raised from the dead. This is the good news that I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be changed. Take your story, match it up with the word of God and go tell it. I read on your website somewhere. It said, see it, something, tell tell me what is it? See it, feel it. See it, live it, tell it. That's old news to y'all. See it, live it, tell it. That's a call. That's a cry. That's a compelling in scriptures. They called it the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. How many of you can say, I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation? and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. How many of you can say, I am willing to do anything if it will result in eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen? So number one, you've got to keep the light on. Number two, pay attention to what you remember. My father said not too long ago, he said, pay attention to what God allows you to remember. Sometimes we push our stories to the back because we've got to create a front that will be readily acceptable. I want you to pay attention in this season to what God allows you to remember. Because there are elements of your story that when told married to God's word will create overcomers. I am they, you are they, united we are they, overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the power of the testimony. So we have to pay attention to what we remember In 2 Timothy 2, 14, it says, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. That's not even talking about those that are doing the arguing. What witness are you giving giving, when you take your perspective and position it against the perspective of another one and commence to arguing? It says it can ruin those who hear it. Steward your words. Put your perspective into perspective. My next point, how does the world identify us? How does the world identify us? But one time when they had tried it and this is a familiar story, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? When we have idioms and cliches to give for everything somebody says, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. God is real all the time. When we do that, and then we show the internal constitution of our being to be something different, the world is now looking and saying, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? So I ask you this question this morning, how does the world identify us? And as I take us back to 2 Samuel, we left off with David asking, Who are you? Who are you? And he responded, "I am an Amalekite." Then he begged me, "Come over here and put me out of his misery, for I am an..." And that wasn't that was Saul asking the Amalekite, "Who are you?" Let me let me make sure I'm clear on that. Saul was asking the Amalekite. Let me take you back. So Saul is in battle. He lays on his sword. The Amalekite has now gone to David to explain to David that Saul and Jonathan are dead. David said, how do you know? And he's telling them that Saul said, who are you? And I said, I, and Amalekite said, I am an Amalekite. Then he begged me, come over here and put me out of my misery for I'm in terrible pain and I want to die. So I killed him the Amalekite told David for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband and I may have bought them over here to you, my Lord. So what is the Amalekite doing now? He's got a narrative. He is hiding behind diplomacy. He is saying what he thinks David wants to hear him say. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow. When they heard the news, They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. David understood full well the scripture that is still alive and well today to touch not God's anointed. Then David said to the young man who had bought the news, where are you from? Now, he had already told him that he told Saul he was an Amalekite, but he said, I just want to make sure that I identify with exactly what you're identifying with. Come again. Where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite who lives in your land. (laughs) I believe that David kind of took a different posture at this point. I believe he went from mourning to righteous indignation. I believe his posture shifted our posture should shift when we pick up on that people are using their perspective and their platform to diplomatically lead us down a road that leads only to death because the wages of sin are death and if it's not spirit and truth it's flesh and a lie and sometimes we try to dance and straddle between those two but it is either spirit and truth or it is flesh and a lie so as my mama say tell the truth shame the devil let's go back David got a little bit of different posture and he said why why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one diplomacy absent of truth will lead you to a dead end called death. Verse 15 says, then David said to one of his men, kill him. See the risk we run when we give people what they want to hear versus what God has Asked us, called us, commanded us to stay. you'll never win. Why? Because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So you'll never figure it out. You'll never figure out how to dance with the devil. It's much easier to commit to walking in alignment with spirit and truth on purpose, with purpose, in a way that positions you for Philippians 1 and 6. I will perfect what I begin in you. You don't have to dance. You can walk with your head held high, knowing that grace and mercy brought you through. I have a testimony. And I know that there's so many of you that have a testimony too. How do I know? Because I am they. And they will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. And the Lord is not man that he would keep his good gifts from us. So if he said that that's how we're going to overcome, then he's going to give each of us an individualized testimony to marry with his legacy. I am they, you are they, and united, we are they to go back because I was just sitting with this thing called perspective and so I jumped back to first Samuel chapter 31 and I'm not for the sake of time I'm not gonna read through all of it but I want to read just enough so that you can see what I saw so that you don't just have to hear what I'm saying and trust it I want you to see what I saw because it sent me on this journey so I read second Samuel and I got that account and the Holy Spirit said go back a little bit guys if something ain't sitting quite right in this season Go back a little bit for some of us. We need to go back a lot a bit for some of us. We need to go back generations to figure out why this don't make sense because sometimes it don't make sense because it's a lie and you've got to go back to the origin, to the origin. People always ask me, Shonda, why do you hang around people in their sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties? Cause they know the truth. The wisdom of experience is a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit said, go back a little bit. So I went back to 1 Samuel chapter 31 and I'm gonna read a little bit of that for you. Now the Philistines attacked Israel and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab and Malkishua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul and the Philistine archers caught up with him and they wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come and run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. Touch not mine anointed. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. Now, where's the Amalekite? Where's the Amalekite? Don't rationalize lies that you know are lies just because the truth is loud. Oftentimes, when people have positioned themselves and gained power on the other side of perspective, they get real loud. That makes me want to lower my voice, I'll get quiet. But sometimes it's a still small voice inside of you that says, I abide in you, you abide also in me. And that has informed your perspective, share it. Share from that place of truth, because it is that level of truth that will set captives free. In closing, life is crazy. We're seeing some things unfold that even those that I talk to that are knocking 100 that they've never experienced in their lifetime but God and his simple truth are so real and it's not changing. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I encourage you in this, there will be suffering. There will be failure. There will be fear that comes as a result of that suffering and that failure. And that will frustrate us as we navigate through our processes but our faith compels us to lean not on our own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Christ and he will bring us in perfect alignment. But let me tell you what I have Thank you so much. Takes us down a road forgiveness if you find yourself in a place where your desire to be right is greater than your desire to forgive it is probably not a road that God is leading you down if your perspective is louder than your heart posture to forgive that is probably not where God right where that sweet spot where God would like for you to be And it is in that spot where we can experience freedom. Why do we need freedom? Because that's all wrapped up in us finishing well. I want to start with the scripture that I ended with. If we can go to Revelations 12, 10 through 12. We're going to end today. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters have been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night and they have defeated him the new King James version that I read earlier, they said they will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. How comprehensively do you believe what you say you believe? Therefore rejoice, O heavens. And you who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come on the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you in great anger. But this is the peace that I leave you with. He knows. That he has just a little bit of time. So hold on. Embrace your perspective. Marry it against the word of God. And I can't say it no better than y'all already said it. What is it? Live, see it. Live it. Tell it. See it. Live it. Tell it. See what God is saying in his word. Live it with every fiber of your being. And tell it. So that they will be the They that overcomes. Because it's one thing to realize that I am they. And because two can put 10,000 to flight, it's beautiful to know that you are they. But when we become they on mission, then they can become they. And that's why we're here, amen? Amen. I thank you for your time this morning, God bless.